to the Cyber 24 podcast, the weekly podcast dedicated to helping businesses and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. I'm Marty Carpenter of 24-9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, government relations. I'm joined today by our guest cybersecurity expert, Matt Sorensen of Silicon Valley Bank. Matt, how you doing, Matt? It's been a little while since we've had you on the show. Good morning. Yes, it's been over a year. Well, looking sharp, looking good, looking like you've enjoyed the pandemic and some time to work from home, but we're glad to have you uh, with us for uh, what I think is some pretty interesting stuff going on. And, and maybe and maybe I suffer from a little bit of uh, whatever the syndrome would be where I'm paying more attention to cybersecurity news, but it sure seems like it's been coming fast and furious lately. You know, sometimes when you do this podcast, there are weeks where you're like, Okay, what happened? Did anything actually happen this week as we look back on it? But over the last yeah. few weeks, we've man, we've had some big headline-driving stories, some really big things happening in cybersecurity. Uh, so, you know, you think about it that gas prices haven't even really come down since the Colonial Pipeline was hit by hackers, and now we have another attack uh, that's making headlines. Though before I jump into that, I, I, I want to stop and just talk Colonial Pipeline because I, something happened just this morning uh, that was in the news uh, that I thought was really interesting because it's something I've never heard of happening. And that is getting some money back from the cyber criminals. So in this case, it was a, a Russian group that, uh, perpetrated that attack and demanded, we've been saying a, a $5 million sounds like the figure is actually closer to $4.4 million that were, that was paid by the uh, colonial pipeline to the hackers. And, uh, and now, uh, the federal officials have recovered $2.3 million of that money, basically getting back uh, some cryptocurrency. And I've just never heard of anything like that, Matt. So uh, any idea how they did it and how how great of a sign is this for the battle against cyber attacks? It's very interesting. So the FBI disclosed this. And it's at some point during their investigation, uh, Colonial Pipeline brought them in early, I, I would imagine, to, to help support their the, the crime committed against them and the investigation, trying to bring them to the perpetrators to, to justice. It sounded like the FBI somehow obtained a password f from the hackers for their crypto wallet. That's part conjecture, part piecing together what I've read in the news. And if you extend that, I don't know if this is what happened or not, but I would imagine maybe the FBI fished, successfully fished the attackers, uh, kind, kind of beat them at their own game in a way. If you think of the resources available to the FBI, maybe they were they had someone able to craft uh, some pretty enticing phishing, presented it to the attackers, got them to buy it, got the pass were jumped into the crypto wallet and recovered some yeah. uh, money. I, it, it is unthinkable that the FBI was, was able to otherwise penetrate the cryptocurrency network and somehow um, undo a blockchain ledger transaction or something of that nature to get the money back. That's not really yeah. feasible. I mean, that, that's what jumped out at me is like, this is essentially the reason they trade in cryptocurrency is that it's on the blockchain and there's no way to kind of go undo it. So interesting to see that that might, that might be the yeah. way that the uh, federal officials went about it. Um, but either way, boy, we just never get to ever say anything about how 
the victims came back <laughs> and and managed to get back some of their money or uh, you know undo some of the damage that was done. So a pretty big headline I thought this morning. Yeah, definitely not a defense strategy uh, to count on that as a yeah. part of the recourse. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> and I think probably the two point three million dollars that were recovered probably go back to the insurance company. I would guess they had an insurance policy that yeah. pay the ransom. Yeah, I, I doubt that they're going to get the insurance plus the money that came back uh, through getting it back. But either way, a, a win for the good guys and uh, you know a star sticker for the FBI for their work on that as well. So we had the colonial pipeline attack that I mentioned. You know, spiked gas prices and had people uh, filling up plastic bags with gasoline, which. What a what a world we live in, right? <laughs> um, uh, but then, right on the uh, tails of that, we have JBS USA, the world's largest meat supplier, uh, hacked as well. It's a company based not far from here in in Utah. It's over in Greeley, Colorado, the home of Northern Colorado University, uh, and uh, you know they actually do have a plant here in Utah and higher in Utah, as a matter of fact, uh, that was impacted. Uh, by the hack, workers were sent home. You know, production was was shut down at least for a day. Uh, these hackers, uh, likely based in Russia, could be the same group. I, it depends sort of on how you're reading some of the reports. Uh, we've heard about, uh, you know, for a long time, we've heard about the risk of cybercrime. These are two big attacks that didn't just sort of compartmentalize and hurt the company, right, or the insurance company that was insuring them against some kind of loss. There, you know, there were people who were sent home from work. Uh, there was a spike in gas prices. There could be, you know, some, even if it's just a minor disruption to the food supply. Um, you know, these are things that start to get to a, a tipping point where it hurts everyday people. So I guess that's sort of the question. Are we getting closer to that tipping point uh, where businesses are really taking this threat seriously? And is that going to be driven by the fact that cybercrime is hitting regular everyday people uh, in a way that it maybe hasn't before? Yes, it's getting attention. It's certainly worrying. I, I worry about the critical infrastructure and our, our vulnerability nationwide, our own government, as well as critical infrastructure providers. I know our government works with them, critical infrastructure providers, to provide some services. I remember talking to a, a person I met who worked in IT at a oil refinery, and I was asking him about how they do their cybersecurity program. Does the federal government uh, take a special interest in them as critical infrastructure? He said, yes, absolutely. And I think at that point, this was a few years ago, they worked with the Department of Homeland Security on cybersecurity standards and um, availing themselves of certain services that the, the federal government provided. But those are unavailable to your average business, your small, medium size, and even large companies, uh, like the kind we have 90, 98% of the businesses in Utah. So it's still worrisome that there are companies out there that are still susceptible to ransomware. We've been talking about ransomware now the, the entire life of, of this podcast. And as I've worked in a large enterprise for the last while, um, we have controls to prevent ransomware and you hadn't heard a lot about ransomware unless you're out helping in professional services, helping companies 
it, it tends to be the smaller companies that get hurt. Not always, uh, but the amount of protection is a function of cost and resources where larger companies have more resources to deal with it, smaller companies less. And it just behooves these smaller companies to really stand up, take note of what's happening. Uh, if this is the largest uh, meat supplier in the United States, that's not a small company. And yet they still had issues. And, you know, the underlying question is why, what could they have done better and, and learn as, as, as company, as a IT person or a manager in a company, you need to ask these questions. Are we vulnerable to, the, to ransomware? Have we done all we can? What's left to do? It, it seems like the hackers may be sort of testing their limits. And, that, you know, the, one of the interesting elements of the Colonial Pipeline attack was that they essentially gave the key back uh, and, and with, with somewhat of an apology. Now, clearly, they got their $4.4 million, uh, at least temporarily, as we've mentioned. But, you know, there was sort of an apology issue, like, hey, we didn't mean to do this kind of damage. We're just out for the money. And, you know, I, it just makes mm -hmm. me wonder if, like, if you're sort of trying to find the right balance, even, even among, uh, you know, cyber criminals saying, you know, we don't want we've got a steady stream of, of revenue here. If we don't go do things like shut down the U S um, fuel supply, food supply, uh, power grid, things like that, that that's maybe seen as like too much. And now it's a pro we're a problem that people will take more seriously. They want to kind of hit this sweet spot of, we want people with deep enough pockets to pay, um, you know, a, a real drive to pay us quickly to get back online, but not so much that we, would that we incur the ire of the general public? Well, if you remember um, how post 9-11, the United States intelligence apparatus and the military took action against our, our attackers and began to single uh, dismantle their terrorist operations and organizations. So, and this culminated years later in the, in the death of men, and imprisonment of many uh, terrorist leaders and organizers, you know, including Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. If you look at this dark web, or the, what, what's the name of the hacker group in Russia that perpetuated this? Dark, tra dark, I forget. But they disbanded shortly after the attack was publicized, if you remember. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that news headline. But they disbanded, and I think they, they they woke a sleeping bear. They got – I think that the United States intelligence apparatus turned their focus on them as a nation, national threat, disrupting our critical infrastructure, and their lives were about to get yeah, really, really uncomfortable. And so, yeah, the balance you're talking about is if you, if you knock off one of the you – know, you cause some hurt over here, we're going to come back after you. And I don't think that's what they want. They want to operate in obscurity and take, yeah, take the Dark small Side wins. is the name of the group, by the way, that I think we were trying to think of there. Um, are they finding new vulnerabilities, do you think? Or is it more likely that they're just sort of playing the greatest hits, but with different companies? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I, I think it's the susceptibility we all have of clicking things that we think are yeah. legitimate and they're in fact not. 
and the, the problem is, is does the company have a service or a, a, a control to min, minimize the amount of those yeah. dangerous links? Sounds like in this case, uh, JBS had some backup systems in place. The company issued a statement saying the company took immediate action, suspending all affected systems, notifying authorities and activating the company's global network of IT professionals and third-party experts to resolve the situation. The company's backup servers were not affected, and it is actively working with the incident response firm to restore its systems as soon as possible. And really was, uh, from all reports, a, a relatively minimal disruption. You know, they, they were back up and, and going um, relatively uh, in short order compared to the Colonial Pipeline that, you know, was down for several days. Yeah, but you have to think, too, why do we know about it? If they had their backups and everything worked well mm -hmm. as it's supposed to, we wouldn't have yeah. known about it. There wouldn't have been a disruption. <laughs> so something didn't work uh, and they were disrupted. There was an impact of the supply chain and great. Yeah. They didn't have to, they didn't have to pay the ransom, um, but yeah, you know, partial Small success. That's what say. you got to fight for sometimes. Uh, they can't. They can't all be as yeah. big as evidently the colonial pipeline sure. one was to recover that much money, uh, but still small victories along the way. All right, time to take a break. But first, a reminder: the Cyber Twenty Four is presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right, from ironclad to security to computing and beyond. Valcom's thirty-five plus years of experience mean they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. Back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. If you're looking for protection from uncontrolled access, Salto can deliver the perfect solution tailored to your exact requirements to provide you with all the security, convenience, and control you need. With Salto, you install access control in a wire-free environment, so there's no need to hardwire the building. Because Salto runs on a virtual network, you can enroll or replace a lost key within seconds, making reprogramming and rekeying a problem of the past. See how Salto can make your access control and building security simpler and safer at vlcmtech.com Salto. That's vlcmtech.com S-A-L-T-O. You've seen the headlines. Every 39 seconds, there's a new attempted cyber attack in the U.S. As the threat landscape becomes more complex, the need for security operations is greater than ever before. It's time to put experts in your corner. For something as important as your organization's security, having a named engineer and analyst paired with you is critical. Arctic Wolf is a leader in security operations, utilizing a cloud-native security analytics platform to deliver security operations as a concierge service. Arctic Wolf's Security Operations Center as a Service is always on guard with security experts monitoring your environments 24-7. Don't become the next headline. Learn more about Arctic Wolf's redefined cybersecurity approach at vlcmtech.com slash arcticwolf. That's vlcmtech.com slash arctic-wolf. Back to the Cyber 24 podcast presented by Valcom. We continue our discussion with Matt Sorensen from Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, in addition to the attacks we spoke about in the previous segment, Matt, uh, Colonial Pipeline, JBS meat packing plants, uh, Chinese hackers also recently targeted the New York subway system uh, as recently as back in April, according to the Metropolitan Transportation Authority of the MTA. 
Uh, officials with the MTA said that on April 20th, the FBI, uh, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency, or CISA, and the NSA issued a joint alert that there was a zero-day vulnerability uh, in place, uh, meaning the vulnerability no one was aware of and for which there were no patches available. Um, CISA issued recommendations for fixes and patches relatively uh, in short order, and only three of the MTA's 18 systems were impacted. Uh, no employee information breach is the report, uh, and there was no impact to customers or contractors. But it goes back to sort of the point we were talking about in the last segment, which is well, you start to see attacks on really critical pieces to how our society functions. Now, in April, I imagine that the New York subway was still relatively um, a ghost town <laughs> compared to what it is in a non-pandemic time. But um, still seems interesting to me that there's just just these little tests that seem to be popping up. And I'm sure I'm not uh, the most sophisticated in putting the pattern mm-hmm. together, um, but, you know, there are... There are these little, if, if you think like an old uh, detective show, there's little pinpoints on the maps. And you're starting to run strings between them and see, but we're getting tested in, in some really interesting ways. What do you make of that? It's concerning, Marty. I try not to be too doom and gloom, but the, the age of information war, uh, cyber war, has been with us now for, for many years. And both uh, adversaries have been arming cyber squads, cyber defense, as well as offensive capabilities for quite a long time. And so I think what we're seeing is the equivalent of battlefield exercises, or like you said, tests. And we're all interconnected, right? Our, 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 our economies are fairly intertwined. And so we don't want to hurt ourselves by hurting our perceived enemies who we rely on for different things. And, and, and it's a very complex world that we're in today. Uh, I think China at the moment working on their, their high tech is that they've been known as intellectual property um, consumers from their adversaries. But I think they've developed their own technology capabilities as well. And in some cases threaten us if you if you listen to the intelligence reports that are public. And I worry that if things got to the point where we have an unmitigated uh, cyber assault, it, it could get pretty, pretty rough. If we can lose, well, let's just say we have very, some very vulnerable critical infrastructure and it doesn't take long to halt the engine of our economy as we've just seen in the last year w- with the pandemic. Um, a gasoline shortage, disrupting fuel supplies, food distribution. Things are fairly tenuously connected, and I, we're not built to withstand yeah. robust uh, internet outages. I, I almost wonder if it's part of this is that we know we have a shortage of cybersecurity talent, right? We just have not developed the pipeline of talent to go take on. The, the number of cybersecurity jobs that we either have now or, or the, what the demand will be in the future. And you'd almost think that you're going to need some kind of national push the way that I perhaps romanticize, but think about it in the 1960s when, you know, President Kennedy says we're going to the moon and suddenly you've got people who want to be astronauts because they think that's cool. And, and you know, we go out and we, we are the first to the moon. Uh, it seems like we'll either need something like that or people are going to eventually realize uh, there is... Uh, real opportunity in this field. You know, I saw a headline just this past week 
that essentially said, you know, you want to go into cybersecurity, you know, name your price. Just that <laughs> you might eventually get to the point where your your skills are so in demand, mm-hmm. and the supply of people at the moment is so low that you could sort of name your price. Uh, it just it seems like we're going to need the people, and that enough people are going to start to figure out that there's money and opportunity uh, in that field. It, it's unprecedented, I think, right now. I remember in 2008 when the economic recession was in full swing, and I had a relative with a with a graduate degree who who was not able to uh, even get hired. He was unemployed, looking for work, and he 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 was trying to get hired at Home Depot, um, and and wasn't able. They they were Home Depot was getting hundreds and thousands of applicants with graduate degrees because that's the, the economy then and the, the labor market then was flooded with with talent now it's the complete opposite we've got fast food restaurants can't hire uh, putting full-time benefits packages together at fast food restaurants mm-hmm. and we heard this week i think amazon uh, all seven hundred thousand employees will receive a smartphone as part of their uh, employment package and so it, it's not even cyber yeah. now. It's it, it's yeah. every industry. The help wanted signs, as far as the eye can see. Now, some of the best advice I could give young people is what you just said: get into cyber. And I think there's a barrier there. People think, oh, it's hard. It's complicated. Uh, and STEM, we've seen a real drop in STEM education compared to other other degrees. We're trying to get more women into STEM, girls studying STEM. Increasing diversity in cybersecurity is an important goal. And I don't know how I'm not a public policy maker, but it is a huge opportunity. Yeah. Uh, um, shifting back a little a bit to problem. this idea of attacks on critical infrastructure. Uh, this past week, the uh, U.S. Energy Secretary, uh, Jennifer Granholm, said, We have an agreement with the private sector on the transmission grid. Um, there are basic standards, cyber standards they adhere to, cyber standards that are developed by the Department of Commerce, and we need the same sort of regime uh, with pipelines, and that does not exist at the moment. What she essentially came out and said that was most newsworthy is that uh, she, she flat out said that our adversaries have the ability to shut down portions of the U.S. power grid. And, you know, you start to think about things like that. This is driving demand for people to be in these types of fields when you start to hear about things like shutting down the power grid or you know spiking gas prices because of an attack on a pipeline um it's it's both uh frightening to think about uh how vulnerable we are and uh, you know i would think to the point we just made if you're looking for an area where you can really um have a big impact and probably earn a really really good living uh, cybersecurity is just, it's just another example of why it's going to be so in demand. And there are over a dozen different specialties in cyber, uh, that, that are various different, um, that, that speak to different talents and skills, left brain, right brain, creatives. There's, there's room under the tent, if you will, of cybersecurity for all kinds of people and professionals it's not just the typical computer programmer hacker that you see on in the movies. Uh, most most cybersecurity professionals do not uh, chase bad guys over the internet. It's 
there's a lot of compliance, a lot of reporting and business management, uh, basic, uh, basic things that need to happen. Policies need to be written. Training needs to be created. Yeah. Uh, so we've uh, talked a lot today it's about a, it's a wide infrastructure field. and various segments of the U.S. economy that are vulnerable to cyber attack. As we wrap up, Matt, I'm just wondering, any big takeaways? What, what would be the one big takeaway that you would want you know, a, a business leader or a, a governmental leader, an elected official, to take away from the discussion today? Well, uh, with ransomware still making news, uh, we're still vulnerable. Uh, ask yourself, are we vulnerable? Work with your partners, your trusted partners, to, to assess where you are, what more can you do, yeah, perfect. and then make, uh, make great a determined insight. plan As to, always, Matt, to get we appreciate there. you taking some time to be part of the show. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. And Valcom is much me. more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. So whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at VLCM.com. That's VLCM.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Department of Technology Services, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, our friends at Secuvant, the Utah Attorney General's Office, and the Utah Department of Public Safety. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook as well. Hit us up in either place. Let us know if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everyone, and stay safe online.